tired. That's it. So, Holy Spirit, just come. Just come. <laughs> yeah, no, he's tethered. That's it. Get him down. Shabba. Thank you for David and Faith, and we just bless them. We bless them to go deeper. We bless them to increase. We bless them to come into a new season of their ministry, a, a, a refreshing to come to them. Thank you that you've given them a little bit of time at home and in the garden and stuff. And I just pray that in this special time, you'll whisper right deep into their hearts, Jesus, 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 in his mighty name. Amen. Yes, true. Go. Shabbat. Go Shabbat. Right. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Hey. Yeah, it's nice to be a weirdo. <laughs> I used to be a really serious and a very, very proper Englishman. But God's messed that up quite a lot. <laughs> and um, I'm really glad he has. Because I think back, it was really boring being a proper Englishman and being serious and sensible. And um, I think with seeing that I'm having a lot of fun in heaven, I thought, well, at least it should be reflected in church and certainly sh- should be in me. So I think I'll give up being serious and uh, I'll give up being a proper English gentleman and I'll just be me. So, you know, the, the worship was really powerful tonight, wasn't it? It was really powerful because um, I could feel the tenderness in the heart of God as we worshipped, as we, as we sang those songs and as we said we want to go deeper. And I could feel the tenderness in the heart of God for all of us here. You know, there is an incredible tenderness in the heart of God towards you. It, it's, it's, it's more than you could ever imagine, even if you had a wild day where you tried to imagine how... How, how God might be like if he was a nice person. <laughs> it's way, way beyond your, your, even your highest imagination. He's way, way beyond that. He's scarily nice. <laughs> to, to the point that he's full of compassion. I mean, how, what does that look like? You can think, you can see someone, you can think a lot of compassion, but it says he's full of it. You know, if you're thinking of being merciful towards somebody, to the person who's just cut you up on the road, and you're, instead of saying a few words, you think, I'll be merciful. Okay, he's probably in a hurry. You know, God's full of mercy. What does that look like? Full of mercy towards you and me. He's full of grace. There is such passion in the heart of God for you and me that it's way beyond anything we might imagine even on our good day. It's just big. Very big. And um, I went through, I, I was telling those of you who weren't here during the day, I've been describing some of the journey that we went on in, in being kind of very, when I look back now, I was very, I was quite religious. I didn't know I was being religious. I was just doing the best I could to be a Christian. But I was full of all kinds of religiousness and stuff that was, I look back now, I was just so bound up with stuff. Just literally bound up and not free. And I was describing some of the journey that we'd been on in our lives uh, for my wife and I in, in God just deliberately 
bringing us to more and more freedom. Because in Galatians it says, it was for freedom that I came to set you free. And for, for some people it's like, they, they, yeah, it's for freedom, and then suddenly they're restricted by all these religious things, they have to do this, have to do that, have to do the other. And um, often we get into more bondage and into imprisonment after we've come to Christ. Because now we've got all this other stuff we've got to keep up. And actually, that's why in Galatians, Paul says this, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. It was so you could enjoy being free to be who you are. Because what God has made you is extremely valuable to him and he deliberately chose you to be alive at this time on the face of the earth and that is extremely valuable to him. Your life is important to God. You're not just a blot, a little speck on the, on the push, myriad of people that are on the face of the earth. He actually knows you intimately. He knows exactly what he's put into you. And he, you're born for such an hour as this. There is a radical change taking place in this nation and in other nations across the earth, but especially in this nation. And outwardly, it looks like things are getting worse. But actually, in the heart of God, there is a build-up, a build-up going on. And this, this whole week here, I do believe, just being in this atmosphere today, this week is, is part of what God is doing to prepare us for what is to come. And, and it's going to be really powerful. I, I'm, I keep hearing stories about what is happening in different places, even across this nation, that excite me and I just think, well, you know what, that was never on the news at 10, and that was never on the news at 6, but I tell you what, it's more important than the stuff they're dishing out on the news at 6. It's more important, it's going to radically change. And, um, woo, whoo, and, um, whew, we, we go, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll try and be really serious. Um, um, we, we visit often a church uh, called God's Embassy in Amsterdam, and uh, they, they're led by a couple, he's very apostolic, she's a prophetic, and um, they're a wild pair together, they're both very opposite, she's like this, he's very Dutch, <laughs> and um, how can I describe that? He's very Dutch. And um, th- th- one time we, uh, Patricia Boatsmer, who was ministering there, she said, you, oh, we're doing this, um, we're going to have a Father Heart Week, and uh, John's coming along, and John didn't come along, and they said, well, what are we going to do? And, and Patricia said, oh, invite David and Faith. So they invited us to go, this was four years ago, we went to their school, whatever it is they were doing, and they sat there and thought, you know, we'll come and attend the sessions, because there are a lot of broken people in the church. And some of them are from the red light district. And these people really, really need to hear about God's love. And about getting their hearts healed. And their testimony is very powerful. Um, um, Dick and Arlene, just amazing couple. But Dick gives this testimony every time we do a week there. And he says this. I sat there listening to this teaching and this stuff about to help these poor people in the church and then realized my heart was as broken and messed up as anyone else in the place. And he said, he got this revelation, both of them together, they said, we need this stuff, firstly. And then they went on to do RTF, the Restoring the Foundations stuff, 
And, um, and he said, unless we get this Father's love as the foundation in our hearts, really and truly, every desire we have for what's going to happen is going to turn in on itself and go to corruption because of the pain and the, and the stuff. So we've got to have a new foundation right in the bottom of our hearts that is full of Father's love. It's got to be that. It can't be just, oh, hallelujah, it's time to go, ho, ho, ho. That won't do it, because we've done that before. We did that in the 80s, if you're old enough to remember that. We all well galloped round, you know, said, hallelujah, this is it, this is it. But then the very old same stuff kept cropping up. A bit like, it's a bit like somebody, I have a friend who, oh, I was, he was a colleague uh, in school, and um, he, he, first of all, married this girl he met at uh, university, and then after a few years, they broke up, and then he, he met another one, and he, he got married to her, and funny, everybody said in the school, my goodness, she looks just like the last one. And, uh, you know, she was uh, like similar build, blonde, and on all this stuff, so we thought, oh, he obviously likes blondes. And then that marriage broke up, and then suddenly, he found one of the sixth form girls, can you believe this, and uh, she left the school, and, and everything was fine, and he got married to her, and sure enough, she was the same. And it's like, he, he went these, through these three marriages, and it's like the same things that affected the first marriage, affected the second marriage, affected the third marriage, because there was something in his heart, and in the person she brought baggage into the marriage, he brought baggage, and they just galloped around the ring, and it all broke up. And now, at 65, he's a lonely old man. I mean, he looks a lot older than 65. <laughs> He's just a lonely old man, desperate, because he's tried it, and he's tried it, and he's tried it, but it's all gone to rubbish in his life. He's got two children, and they don't want to know him. And my heart breaks for him, and we were close friends. And he's heard the gospel, and I've, I've talked to him about God's love and stuff like that. And you know, in a way, the churches have been the same. It's like we've heard the message... We've sort of come to, come to the moment and say, come on now, let this be the time, God. Let's go for this. We go for it. And a few years, it's all gone down the drain again because we're still carrying that same old baggage in our hearts of brokenheartedness that Jesus came to heal, of imprisonment, the stuff in our lives that we can't even break off and we don't even know why we, why we are like this. Sometimes our wife will say to us, why are you always like this? And you just go, well, that, honest, I have no idea why I'm like this. Often it's because I'm a bit like my dad or I'm a bit like my mom. And, and she didn't know how to deal with her stuff and my dad didn't know how to deal with his stuff. But this stuff on this school is destined, if you'll allow it, to get right into your heart and, and make a devastating change that your wife will be thrilled about. And your husband, they'll be excited about and then your kids will. My, my kids, when I began to drink of the Father's love and realized how much I was loved, instead of all constantly trying to get God to twist, you know, twist God's arm to get him to love me, because I had no revelation of love. I just had a theology, and, and, and it wasn't enough to meet the needs of my life. Do you realize that? It's not enough to meet the need of your heart. You see, your heart was designed by an incredible creator and he designed your heart to be filled to overflowing with love. That was the fuel 
That was the fuel he, he built you. He designed you for, for that fuel. I have a friend who... I have a friend who brought a, a, bought a brand new Mercedes. It was like, phew, beautiful. And he always had a petrol car, but this time this, di- this Mercedes was diesel. He drove to the garage the first time he had to fill up. He goes straight to the usual place where he fills his car. It's like he's literally, you know, 10 miles from the forecourt, brand new. He picks up the petrol nozzle. He puts it in the car. He's just about to squeeze. And he notices a little sign on there that says diesel only or something on the inside of the flap. And he stopped. And he knew the guy at the garage. And he said, man, alive, I nearly put petrol in my diesel engine. And the guy said, you know, if if you'd pull that in, it would have ruined your engine. You'd have needed a new engine. He's going, thank you, God. You see, he was about to put the wrong fuel. And do you know what? Your heart was designed by an incredible father who destined you to live in love and to know that you are the beloved. And when I told you about the church I was brought up in, they strongly believed in that Jesus was the beloved but that we were miserable worms and we should be jolly thankful we got anywhere. Anything at all. Hello? And what they should really have told me was this, that Jesus was the beloved. And as I opened my heart to be loved, I discovered that I am the beloved. Yesterday in, in the church we're right in Bath, we... There was a young lady there. She's probably, what, um, 19? She's about to go to university, isn't she? She'd just done the five-month school in Toronto. She'd just come back after the five months. And she was asked to just to say what had happened on the school. And she said, she began to talk, and, and she said this. She said, I thought I was okay going to this school. I thought I'll just try it, you know. I think it's okay. I've heard some good reports. She said, I got there. And I discovered that as the school went on, I discovered my heart was full of rejection. That I, was, I felt covered in shame. I felt like I couldn't hold my head up because I was so shame-based inside. She said, I discovered that I had incredible fears. I had all these fears of things in my life, fears that might go wrong, health fears, fears about me, whether, I could, whether it was okay for me to be me. She said, I was full of fear. And she said, on one occasion, they were in the worship, and she said she felt like the Father came to her and, and said to her, would, would you like me to set you free? And she was just getting emotional then. She began to cry when she was sharing her testimony. It was very powerful because she said, God began to, began to, to, to minister to her and lift off things off her life. And then he said, and then she said, I heard the Father laughing. And she said, I thought he was laughing at me because I was such a mess. But she said, he said to me, I'm laughing at your fears. I'm laughing at your fears. And she's going, why are you doing that? She sa- he said, well, why don't you join me and laugh at your fears? <laughs> so she said, she started laughing 
she could hear the father laughing and she got really kind of wild and wacky and started laughing and laughing and she said, all the time I was laughing, the fears that were very real at the beginning, they began to shrink and go down like this and, and, and she said until they disappeared. And, and um, as she was giving this testimony, I'm just sitting there thinking, she's had an encounter with the father. And she is a different girl than when she went five months ago. She's completely different. I asked her if she could come here today and give this testimony, and she something you know she wasn't quite going to work out. But but I wanted her to come so you could hear it. But it, it's like God did something dramatic in her life, and it was based on this. And she, this is the last thing she said. She said, "I went out there with all this shame." But she said, the Father, in every time we worship, the Father began to speak to me, and he, he kept saying, so loved, so loved. And I, and I turned to the Father, and I said, who are you talking to? And he said to her, it's you. It's you. And she said, I went with all this shame, I felt it was wrong my head. She had a headache a lot of the time at the beginning of the school, like just across here. And gradually, as God healed her, the headache went. And she said, now I know that what's written on my forehead is so loved. So loved. So loved. And as she stood there, I'm thinking, yes! <laughs> That's what God wants to do. The transformation of heart. From feeling like you're a bit a waste of time, you're not up to much, you're probably not going to make it because you're such a loser, and you have all these negative I'm, talking to him, I'm saying it's as though it's you, but I, I had a lot of negative feelings about myself. Even as a good Christian, I felt like I've got to put on a good show because I don't really say what I feel inside. So loved. That's you. As the Father who has incredible feelings towards you. That you are loved and that you're valuable. And he wants to be close to you. Do you know that if you're not close to a father, it leads to feeling, having an orphan spirit. I, I, part of my journey was that, you know, I thought, hey, I'm getting healed up now in my heart. I've had revelation of the father. I must be doing well. It's great. And then it was like God took me on this track. Like, I'm going to show you now about orphanness. I'm going, yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm sure that's a good subject to preach on. <laughs> I kind of felt like he's going to show me stuff to preach on. You know, great. Put another little topic in my bag, you know, hallelujah. <laughs> and he says, no, it's the orphanness in you. I go, me? <laughs> no, not me. <sighs> I've got parents. They loved me. They wanted me. The orphanness? No, I don't think so. That's for people who haven't got parents. You know, that's what we call orphans. I was actually laughing in the garden because I was saying I was trying to say the word daddy to God and that was a scary thing to say because when you're a grandfather it's a funny thing to say to God like daddy does it work I tried to say it really hard and I said well actually I know from Romans 8.15 that when the spirit of sonship comes on you the cry that comes from your heart is daddy and I'm trying to say it in the garden and when I finally said it, he said to me this funny question. He says, what do you think orphans are crying? I'm going, excuse me? What do you think orphans are crying? Good question, eh? I'm thought of it. Didn't know all the answer. I'm going, don't know. 
You see, true sons and daughters of the father are crying, Daddy. They're going, Daddy. Is that what little kids do? They see you coming home and they're just going, Daddy. You're going, Oh, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) What are orphans crying? And I went on a whole journey with the father where every time, it was like things I said, things I just came out with in certain situations happened, if the car broke down or something else, I'd say something, genuinely normal things, British normal. And he'd say to me, that's the cry of an orphan. I'm going, just a minute, not now. I'm, I'm dealing with this. But he was actually trying to show me the orphanness in my heart. One of them was, I'll, I'll just give you one illustration, because I want... Wow. Whoa. When we, when we started um, going out to the, the, the nations, the church we were in really were very supportive and, and said, look, um, we want to finance you for as long as you want to go to the nations. We'll finance your trips, finance everything, and, um, and, and give you a salary as well. And we just thought, wow, that's really cool. How amazing. God, this is wonderful. Yes, we've received the prophetic word, and now there's your provision. So we just thought, this is great. Off we went. One year later, we, I received an email. You know, you get certain emails and you wish you hadn't received them. Right. And this email said, um, we're so glad to have been supporting you. However, we are restructuring our finances. Now, when you read the phrase, restructuring our finances, there's a certain coldness that comes into your heart because you think, shall I skip to the next paragraph? Sure enough, we're going to reduce that by half this coming year. And the following year, reduce it again by another half, and so on. And um, what do you think I did at that point? Oh, hallelujah! No, I didn't. I started, oh God, what are we going to (laughs) do? Who's going to provide for us? And just at that crisis point in our lives, God said something to me. What do you think it was? That's the cry of an orphan. Well, hang on a minute. Don't bring that up now. This is a serious situation. (laughs) So, Faith and I decided to get very serious about this because we obviously need to talk to God seriously. So we're going to fast and pray. We're going to have intercession. We're going to go into mega mode. As in, let's start fasting now. So we set this day aside. We... We, we missed breakfast. That was a, that was a bit of a trial. Um, <laughs> and so, nine o'clock comes and we put on a CD worship, you know, and we sit there and worship for a while. And then we decide to soak for a while. And, and after we've soaked, it's, you know, nearly half past nine by that time, feeling really hungry. Um, <laughs> what are you laughing at? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> then we said, okay, now we're going to do some journaling. We're going to ask Father, what are we going to do about this crisis? You know, what's going to happen now? So we went into separate rooms so we couldn't crib each other's, you know, like thing and cheat with the journaling. So, uh, and then after about 15 minutes, we came back together again. And I, I said to Faith, what did he say to you? And shared what he said to me. And he, he said three things and they're almost identical. It's very, very interesting. He said, number one, it wasn't your idea to go to the nations. 
I thought, no, it wasn't. I really liked teaching. I never wanted to leave the school. And, 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 and I got all these prophetic words about going to the nations. I, I, yes, I agree with that one. It's like, right in there. Number two, it was my idea. I'm going, yes, it was. <laughs> we had all these prophetic words and you, until we couldn't, you know, we couldn't stop it. We just thought, okay, we'll go to the nations. And number three said, I'll look after you. I thought, oh. We, we looked at each other, we're going, oh, the father's just said he's going to look after us. So, that's okay then. So, it's about, you know, it must have been nearly 10 o'clock by then. Um, we thought, hey, we've got our answer from heaven. We can stop fasting now. We can, we can get into coffee. We, we can get into coffee and have some really nice biscuits. Some really naughty biscuits. So, we did that. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing was that following year we didn't tell anybody that that had happened I, re- I replied to the, to the church and I blessed them and I just said I want you to know thank you so much for what you've done for us you see what had happened had changed my heart what God had done was taken out that orphan another part of that orphanness within me that was saying who's going to look after me? <laughs> That horrible little orphan inside that wants to know everything. And I'd actually, we'd actually come to a place where we trusted him. And he kind of pulled that bit of orphanness out of our hearts and released us to be able to trust him to be a father to us. And we wrote a very warm email back to the church rather than than the one we were planning to write. And we thanked them for everything they'd done and we blessed them and we said, we bless your restructuring of the finance. Go for it. Just do whatever the Holy Spirit puts in your heart. And that following year, we received more than we received the previous year. We didn't ask anybody or tell anybody. We weren't sending out letters like, oh, help us, help us. It's just like the Father said, I'll provide for you. It would just come in from different places anonymously. A lot of the stuff we never knew where it came from. And it's, it, we feel bad then because somebody gives a, quite a sacrificial amount and, and we don't know who to thank because they send it to the people and they say that the person doesn't want to, to, you to know who it is. I'm going, so everybody you meet, you're going, I wonder if it's them. What if it's, it's like, I want to thank somebody, but it's like in the end, it was the Father was saying, I will provide for you. That's amazing, isn't it? He wants to be your provider. And allowing him to be your provider, where you don't, you've not got it all stitched together so you know where it's all coming from, is actually the heart of the Father towards you. He, wants, he doesn't want orphans. And yet, you know, you can be a really good Christian and yet an orphan. You see, an orphan is the definition. Is not that you, it's not that you just don't have parents. It's that you're not close to a father. It's intimacy with a father that gets the orphanness out of your heart. So you can actually have a dad, but if you're not close to him, you actually live like an orphan. Because you don't know that connection. That, that like, sometimes I, 
in the past, our, our daughter, before she was married, she would come on the phone from, she's working in Canada, in Toronto, and she would say, she would say, Dad, you'll never believe it, my car, my car, my car, it's just really awful, I need a car for work, and, and I, I can't manage without a car, and the smoke coming out of the back, there's more smoke coming out of the back than, there's, it's used in about, you know, four pints of oil, or whatever it is, liters of oil a week, and, and I'm going, and, and, and she's pouring it out to me, and I'm her dad. And, and like I said earlier, I, I, she discovered this other dad. And I said, hey, before you say any more, just remember, you've got two dads. Big one and a little one. I'm glad to be the little one. But you know what? He's going to provide for you. So I said, in the, while you're waiting, I said, just lay hands on the car every morning. Have you ever tried doing that, laying hands on a car? It's really good, you know. You can get healing for the car. And, and, and I said, you just lay your hands on the car every day and you say, smoke, go away. <laughs> Engine, work properly. And you know what? That lasted for, like, it just carried on working for quite a few months before they were able to get a different one. And, and God provided for her. And we helped in the process. You see, what's in a dad's heart is to provide for his kids. A real father wants to provide for his kids. That means this father in heaven really wants to be your provider. It's not just a little mantra you say in church on a Sunday, Oh, Jehovah Jireh, he's my provider. And, and you're going for it full throttle. But come Monday morning, <laughs> come Monday morning when you're fired, <laughs> you, you tune, you change your tune then, you're going, Sorry, my throat's going a bit funny today. I don't know why. <laughs> There's a special anointing. There's a special anointing on this, pl- on this place here. Whoa! <clears throat> so. You know, if my kids were wandering around like orphans, I would be, it would just be terrible. I would just be, like, awful. My kids going around, I'm an orphan. I went, no, 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 you're not. You've got a dad here. I'll provide, I, I'll provide for you. You do that with your kids, don't you? <laughs> Stop it. Yeah. This... There's an interesting scripture in John 5, uh, verse um, 19 or 20, something like that. And Jesus says this. He says, the Father loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. One day the Father was just showing me that and I just thought, you know what? I never say that. I might say, yeah, God, I really love you. I might just keep, you know, saying, oh God, I love you, yeah, yeah, I really love you. Do do, do you realize that your love for God is important? But it's not as important as receiving his love for you. Hello? Why? Because the Bible says it was not us that loved God, but he first loved us. One day, you know, people preach on that, the church thing in Revelation about, I have one thing against you, you've left your first love. And, and, and that for years in the church I was in was used almost like a condemnation thing. And people say, I see people here tonight who have left their first love and I'd be shrinking behind my chair and thinking, it's probably me. 
you know, like, he's, he's probably spotted me right from the beginning. I'm, I've probably left my first love. And it was this whole thing that you'd, you used to love Jesus a lot more than you do now. And every time that was preached on, I used to go out to the building feeling condemned. And then one day I connected that, those two scriptures up. It was not us that loved God, but he first loved us. And I felt like the Father said, they had left their first love. That is the love that the Father has for us. Do you know what you can do? Is just, it's like you just say, oh, hallelujah, I'm saved now. I can do it. Let's go forth. Let's go and do the stuff. We're going to love God, aren't we? We're all going to love God. Yes, come on. And actually, it's more important to drink from his love because you know what? You can't really love God until you love him with the love that he's put in your heart and it's a responsive love to him. Are you going to stay on that chair? No. It's a responsive love, isn't it? So now when I think of that scripture, I'm, I'm like, oh, the first love is it's his love for me. It's his love for me. I, I can leave that. I can just say, yeah, I'm fine, God. And we're very good. Brits are very good at saying, oh, you know, Jesus has done everything for me, so now we must get on and show God what we, what, we, what we can do for him. We'll love him. We'll do all that stuff. But you know, you don't do that with a baby when you, when you have a baby. Not all of you look as though you've had one, but um, <laughs> especially the guys. Anyway, um, but I remember the night when I first, you know, first one came home from the hospital with faith, obviously, and uh, <laughs> and um, like we thought, well, we'll have the cot in our room. We just want to check on everything all night. You know, you don't know what to do with the first baby. It's like we were just two uh, enjoying being married, and then suddenly there's three, and you're going, um, mm, is this going to mess our lives up? Yes, um, <laughs> completely. And um, and you, you you're awake all night listening to see if the baby's breathing. It's like you just go. Can you hear anything? No. Is the baby breathing? And then suddenly the baby goes, ah. and you go, oh, it's alive, it's alive, it's okay, it's okay. And, and, and then there's a silence again. You're going, is it breathing or not? And you go, God, is this the next 18 years going to be like this? <laughs> but you know, when that baby arrives and you put it in the cart with a little mobile hanging over it, dingling, dongling all around, you don't, say, you don't say to the baby, because you've decorated everything, you've done a little room for them, you've done all these lovely little things around the room, it's all in nice pinks for the girls and blues for the boys. You don't say to that baby as it lies in the cot, now baby, we've done everything for you. Now it's your turn to show us what you can do for us. I don't think we do that. The baby can't do anything. It only just looks up at me and goes, or something like that, very profound. <laughs> but you know what? When we were in Russia once, somebody came to the front and said to us, David, I, um, I, I just want you to know I disagree with your teaching. I'm going, oh, that's not you. Thank you very much. Um, I said, what's your problem? He said, well, our pastor says, God has already done everything for us. Now it's our turn to show God what we can do for him. Not true. Not true. 
No father does that with his kids. No father does that with a baby. When we're born again, we're, the Bible describes us being babes, babies in Christ. Does this father say, Oi, come on, pull yourself together now. You're saved, so come on. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's committed to being a father to us for the rest of our days, forever. A few years ago, I went, I had to take my dad's funeral. And um, he was living in Scotland then, so in Falkirk, we were in there, up there, just having the funeral. Loved my dad, I was really sad that he'd gone, but I knew he was in heaven, and I knew he was having more fun than he never had before in his life. I knew that, for sure. And as I walked back to the car, after we'd put the coffin in the ground and said all the stuff, and then Christians were dispersing the people who'd come to his funeral. I'm just walking along and I felt like the father said to me, how are you feeling? And I, I was just, I was going, well, I, I'm really sad that he's gone and I really miss him. And he said, yes, I know, I understand. He said, but you know one thing? I said, no, what? He said, you're never going to go to my funeral. Now, you may think that's a crazy thing for God to say. But that's truth, isn't it? We're never going to go to his funeral. Because this father says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you all your days and forever afterwards. Forever and ever. He's living in an endless life, full of life and joy, never. So we're never going to go to this father's funeral. And I was really... That, just, that was the impression left with me at that funeral. It was like my dad spoke to me and just said, yeah, I know how you're feeling, but you're never going to come to mind. And I just, I kind of laughed. I thought, what a funny thought. Of course I'm not. Never thought of that before. <laughs> Put, had to say goodbye to my own father, but this father's never going to say goodbye like that. You see, what I'm trying to learn is this. I'm trying to learn how to live as a son in closeness to the Father, and orphans don't live like that. They've always like got some like, oh, what's going to happen now? Oh my, I'm going to have to do it. God's not here. <coughs> Suddenly, all that orphanness comes out of our hearts. But Jesus says, you know what? My Father really loves me. And I thought to myself, you know what? I never say that. Why do I never say that? Why do I... N I always want to say, well, God, I really love you. Why do I... Never say to anybody, do you know what? My daddy really loves me. Now you just try it with the person next to you. Just say to them, hey, God really, really loves you. Try that. God really, really loves you. He really loves you. He really loves you. Now, okay, you've done, was that okay? Anybody have any hiccups about that one? All right. Now, now turn to the person again or some other person and say, hey, do you know God really, really loves me? Try that. <laughs> so, which, which was easier? Which was easier to say? First one. First one is normally easier. Because it's almost like we can believe for other people. I can look at you today and I can just say, you know what? I know God really loves you. John, 
I like you, but I know that the Father really, really loves you. I can believe for him easily. But we find it harder to believe for ourselves. But Jesus is... Yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. It's this this finger, it's loaded. Um, (laughs) Gotta watch out. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) Whoa. This is a very boisterous audience, Phil. I don't know what what you've been feeding them on. Porridge jokes. Well, so, I, I, I thought to myself, okay, Jesus seemed to be quite free and he knew that his dad loved him. And I looked at the word love there and it's actually the word philio. And I didn't know a lot of Greek, but in the Greek it means expressed natural affection. So, the father had been philioing Jesus. <laughs> Philioed. Filioed Jesus. He filioed him. He <laughs> I'm not going to say that again. Anyway, he expressed natural affection to him. <laughs> and I wondered, you know, I wondered, what does that look like? What does is, what is filial love being expressed? Because love has to be expressed. You know, if any of you girls, any of you girls who are hoping to get married, <laughs> let's not go into do too deep here, but any of you girls hoping to get married, you know, you might, you know, you might link up with a guy and, and, and you're waiting to hear the magic words. You're wondering whether your relationship is getting a bit closer, you're getting a bit more together, and you're feeling like, I wonder if he, if he does. I wonder if there's something, some passion burning in his heart. And um, one day he says to you, well, you know, we've, we, we really get on well together, don't we? And you're going... Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, we have a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great going to the movies and stuff like that. It's great. Yeah, and so you know what? It, we, we might as well. You know, we might as well get married. And if you're a girl, you're going. You, you, sorry. And he, he's just finding it really difficult, and he's really embarrassed, and he doesn't really know how to express it. And he says, "Well, we, well, shall we? Um, shall we just? Um, shall we get married?" And you say, excuse me, is this a proposal? <laughs> because there's certain other ingredients I'd like to hear. <laughs> like, number one, do you love me? <laughs> That's a good question. It's no good just saying, oh, we just get on so well and we're just so happy and la la la. Shall we? <laughs> get married. No, the girl is waiting to hear the words. You know what, darling? I want you to know that over these last months, I've fallen passionately, desperately, idiotically in love with you. And I, I just want to be with you for the rest of my life. And <laughs> Phil, you really do need to get a grip, my friend. Shabakabacho. <laughs> Whoa. True. <laughs> I don't even know where I am preaching from. (laughs) Where am I? Where are my notes? I've got notes somewhere. Is there somebody else I can talk to? <laughs> Is there another group in another room? <laughs> Trying to be a serious Englishman here is very difficult. <laughs> um, 
I'll, I'll pick on the Americans, do you think? They can do any better. <laughs> John, just help me here. I'm in, bit, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, uh, teaching mathematics was never like this. <laughs> it was never like this. <laughs> so what I'm trying to get to is that you know, you, 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 love has to be expressed, doesn't it? Love has to be expressed. Have I got that point in? Yeah, love has to be said. It, it has to be said. It has to be said to your girlfriend. It has to be said to your boyfriend. If you think of getting married, it has to be said. You can't just go in this like, oh, well, he doesn't say very much. He's a very quiet guy, and you know, and I fully understand he, he's not very expressive or emotional or anything else. Like, no, but he's got to say, <laughs> I love you. I am crazy about you. I can't get to sleep at night thinking about you. You're, I'm madly in love with you. <laughs> he's got to get around to that, because love has to be expressed, doesn't it? <laughs> Dear God, help me. Help me. I feel like I'm in the middle of... <laughs> Dear Lord. <laughs> Is it... <laughs> Is it living near the sea that does it? Is that what it's like? It's the sea air. I know what it is. Are they, like, are they always like this? Are they just not normal? Like, no. Right. So my question was this. That, that what, what, is, what is it like? What is filial love like that it's expressing? Because... Jesus obviously had had filial love from the Father to him because it so overwhelmed him he was able to say, you know what? My daddy loves me. I am the beloved of the Father. He is, it's just I know him. And I, he's come to my heart and he's constantly reassuring me with love. And I discovered as I looked into it, there's five ingredients. There's <laughs> <laughs> I need I need a victim. Could, do you mind if you come in out? Can, could just come, can, can I just pick on you? Do you mind? Sure, yeah, sure, 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 no problem. Are you yeah, sure? So. Right, just come and stand out here and look. Like, no, don't go over there. Don't go over there. They're a bit wild. Those lost over there. <laughs> now, I I want you to imagine this 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 young man whose badge has escaped me. Oh, that's good. Nathan. Right. Nathan, I loved, I loved the worship tonight. It was really good. I want you to imagine that he's my son. Can you imagine that? No. All right, forget that. I'm trying to grow my hair, you know. But, um, but I want you. Can you imagine what it was like when you were say 15? Yeah. Yeah, that's about going back what, two years, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, just stand a bit further forward here. <laughs> Don't shrink back, you know. I'm, I'm trying not to humiliate you. But and I'll lift off that victim mentality. <laughs> yeah. So let's say he's my son. He's growing up in the house, and 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 
he desperately needs, he's got this, he's got a heart that's designed by God to receive love and, 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 and putting diesel in petrol engine and petrol in diesel because what we've done is put the wrong fuel in our hearts. And we actually knew fuel, the fuel that we were designed for and the fuel we were designed for was love. Unbelievable love from heaven to fill his heart. And my job as a dad is to stand in for this father and express everything that's in this father's heart through me into him. And so uh, there are five things that, that, that are vital to that taking place. Number one, I have to say to Nathan, regularly as his dad, I have to say, Nathan, I want you to know that I really love you. And, and the funny thing is, number two is, I've got to look him in the eye when I do it. You know, you can have a, a child tracing after you in the house, following you around. You're trying to do some DIY, you know, and you're hammering something in, and your little kid's behind you say, Daddy, do you love me? And at that moment, you miss the nail and hit your thumb, and you're just going, and you're like, oh, ah! And then he's going, oh, Daddy, do you love me? And he's going, yes, of course I love you! <laughs> and, and <laughs> yes, you've said the words. Yes, you've said the words, but... What have you communicated to that child's heart? You've communicated anger. So number one, I need to say to him that I love him, but I also have to have eye-to-eye -eye contact because the eyes are the window of the soul. So when I say to him, I look into his eyes, it doesn't go, his eyes doesn't connect with his brain and say, information, information, incoming information. Oh, my dad loves me. Information, information. No, it doesn't do that. When I speak and look into his eyes, it goes downwards into his heart. It's like clunk. And his heart is waiting for that kind of affirmation. So number one, I have to say to you, I love you. Number two, I've got to do it eye to eye. I can't be, oh, hallelujah, I love my son. That's not going to do it. That's just weird old stuff. I've got to look at him <laughs> and say, hey, Nathan, I love you. So those are the first two. Eye to eye contact. I say the words, I love you. Do you know what? My, even though my dad was a pastor and a lovely guy and life and soul of the party, he never actually said to me once, David, I love you. Never once. It was just, it was the north of England. It was that generation where it was like, they thought if you, they said nice things to you, your head would get so big, they said, your head would get so big, you wouldn't be able to get through the door. They actually said things like that. Don't give your child too many compliments because they just get big-headed. What a load of tosh. Actually, what it would have done would make my heart bigger. And you, actually, you need your heart made large by love. So number three, I need to express to him you know, affectionate touch. Like, oh, Nathan. <laughs> I mean, giving him hugs regularly and just saying, hey, Nathan, I love you. And it's like, I'm expressing, it's got to be like, somebody said we need 10 affectionate touches every day for emotional health. That was being taught in a secular situation. We have a friend who worked in for Pricewaterhouse, um, Cooper, the accountancy company, they went on this course, they're all high-powered accountants, you know, like, all going at it all the time, and they had this course, and they said, you know, you tend to be, live isolated life in the offices, you're all at your own um, desk around the office, and you don't have contact with other people, except have a, oh, what should we do about this client, this client, let's do this. They said, you actually need 10 affectionate touches every day, just somebody, your boss going by and saying, hey, you're doing a good job. 
that you need affectionate touches. You actually need it for your emotional health. And of course, when I got into hugging and I went home to hug my dad, well, all I can tell you is this, it was like hugging a lamppost. <laughs> it was like, hello, dad. Come here, dad, let me give you a hug. He's going, oh, he, like, he's putting his hand out to shake it like this, like, and, and I just got to him, come here, dad, let me give you a hug. And he's like, clunk, against the lamppost. He doesn't bend or give, and he goes, Oh, very nice. Very good. <laughs> and I'm going, no. No, Dad, I don't think you got it. <laughs> and right to the end, he, he, never, he never bent really in the hugs. So, you need affectionate touch. You need your dad to, oh, <laughs> like you. <laughs> you know, needs that. And number four, he needs, he needs a lot of approval. You know, when he's a teenager, he's 15. He's just like trying to find out who he is. Is it okay to be me? In fact, kids are more insecure when they're 15 than they are when they're 5. Like, they're just looking for like, oh, who am I? Is it okay to be me? Can I express who I am in the world? Or is it all going to be stamped out to me? So I need to tell him approval. It's no good to me saying to him, well, uh, blinking, hey, can't you choose some better clothes? You know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the modern trend, but um, I was in Amsterdam in a supermarket and there were some shelf stackers in there, some young men. And um, I, don't want to, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but you, you know these kind of trousers that the crotch comes down here? It, it just comes up to the knees. And then, and then the, um, the, the thingy comes down here, the top, comes down here. So then... I'm walking past this guy who's then knelt down on the, he's crouched down on the floor, stacking the shelves. I look down and I can see, I can see things I don't want to see. I, I don't want to see it. And I had this longing in my heart, but I couldn't do it in Amsterdam. I had a longing to stand him up, grab his trousers like this, oh, come up, let's have them up there. Let's get them up. You know, your crotch is here, maybe your crotch will be here, let's pull them up for you. Now... I didn't do it, otherwise I'd have been arrested, obviously. <laughs> I'd still be there, wishing I hadn't. Um, but you know what? They need approval. Constant approval. Like, hey, just think you're growing up so well. I just love the way you're expressing your personality. I, I, love, I love the way the clothes you're buying. You just, you, you just look so cool. So great. <laughs> so good. I like the way you're doing your hair. I'm just wishing I could grow it like that. And, and, and you know, <laughs> he, he needs lots of approval. And yet, you know what? The generation I grew up, they, they, they thought they could control behavior by disapproval. Like, you're not going out wearing that, that are you? I, when part of my job as a teacher was to check that the, the kids had uniform. <coughs> And of course, what the girls did, I, I've mentioned a bit about the boys and where they, but the girls would, would have their skirts very, very high so that it was embarrassing to be near them, but they were all, all the same length. And so my job was to get their skirts down to their knees, which was very difficult if you're a guy trying to insist on discipline like that. So I would say to the parents evenings when they came and said, it would be really helpful if you could get your daughter to wear a knee-length skirt. Those are the school regulations, you see, at that time. She said, my daughter leaves the house every morning with a knee-length skirt. It comes down to here. Absolutely. I said, look, I cycle to school and I see your daughter at the bus stop. 
And when they get to the bus stop with their friends, they all go shum, 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 like that, and the girls go. Zoom. I said, that's where you need to be in the morning. <laughs> looking, at, looking at the length then. You see, and, and we, thought, we thought that just by nagging our kids constantly saying, you should not be wearing that, that looks terrible, you look like a, you know, you can think of all the words. You're actually damaging your child because what they need is they need a parent to say, I approve of you. And that will, in itself will keep them from the extremes that you don't want them to go to. Because they're finding, because if they get you mad by just doing a, a minor deviation, they think, hey, I can get them even madder than that. I can do a lot worse than that. <laughs> Woohoo! I can wind my mum up and... Of course, that's never happened to anybody here. And number five, number five, this is what he needs, Nathan. He needs me as a dad to speak into his future. Prophetically, to say to him what I believe about him. You know, Nathan, when you get a job, you are so talented that you're so good with the technical stuff. You're, you, you have breakthrough. You, it's like you're very good. And when you get a job, your company's going to really love having you there. And you're going to do well there. And they'll want you to stay. I mean, they might just give you a temporary job for three months or a year. And you know what? By the end, they'll want you to stay. Because you have something. You, you bring something to a place. Do you know, that, that's what my son is longing to hear in his heart. Five things. Love, eye-to-eye contact, affectionate touch, approval, and speaking prophetically into his future. And that helps him to grow into knowing that his dad loves him and that it's okay for him to be who he is. Really important. Thank you. You did great. Your acting skills are coming on amazingly. <laughs> Thanks. That's filial love. That tells me that that's what Jesus received. Do you remember at the baptism of Jesus? comes up out of the water, what does God say to him? He says, you're my son. Yes, really important to say that to a, to, a, to a boy, to a girl, your daughter to a girl. Really important. Helps them, their identity. Who are you? Hey, I want you to know you're my son. And God says to Jesus, says, you're my son and I love you. And I am so pleased with you. And when I read that one day, I just thought, you know what? Jesus hadn't done anything at that point. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't preached anything. He hadn't done any of the good deeds. He hadn't been to the cross and done the big thing. He had done nothing. Just grew up. Got baptized and stands there going, hello. You know, first thing, the Holy Spirit comes on him. That must have been exciting because he knew the Holy Spirit really well. And he comes on him like that. And then he hears this voice of the Father who's giving him filial love. And Jesus, it says in Luke 5, it says, Jesus often, often withdrew to a lonely space to be with his Father. What do you think his dad was saying to him? He wasn't a football coach. He wasn't a football coach. Now, come on, Jesus. This is it. The big one. The big one. This is it. Come on. We need to get, we need to get out there and we need to do the stuff and we need to get there. And you, you know, you can imagine football coaches doing that on a Saturday afternoon, can't you? Or Wednesday night, or whenever it is. Because they are so intent that the team must be up and ready and ready to go. And win the fight. And Jesus came to take on 
the biggest fight ever in the history of mankind. And his dad knew what he needed. And his dad said to him on the Mount of Transfiguration the same things. Except he, he let the others hear it. He said, hey, you're my son. I love you. I am so pleased with you. You know, God was pleased before Jesus did anything. What is it to have a father like that? If my dad had said that to me, I'd have just said, what, what did I do? What are you pleased about? What did I do? Because it was all to do with doing the right thing and doing the proper thing. So, oh, well done. What did you do? But God says that to Jesus. I'm so pleased with you. He hasn't done anything. It's like, oh, wow. So he lived in the approval of his dad. He lived in the love of his father. He, loved in the, he lived in the approval of his father constantly, day in and day out. I like that. And then finally, as I was thinking through that and realizing the kind of love that Jesus had received, I thought, where am I? Where am I in that love record? And I thought, well, Jesus must be loved 100%. So then I, I thought of all the people who might be up near the top. Don't we do that sometimes? Like, well, you think of all the famous preachers, all the people who've really impacted the Christian world around the nations, like, you know, people like Mother Teresa and, and, and others, and Billy Graham, and, and then more modern ones, and stuff like that. And you think, yeah, they're pretty high up in the 90s, 80s. And then if somebody says, so how, how much are you loved by the Father? And you go, well, oof. And you're kind of thinking, aren't you? Because a lot of us here in the UK we're challenged by how much we value ourselves and we often value ourselves very very small don't we don't we isn't that a normal thing amongst the British culture it's like we often value ourselves very small and you think well oh yeah all the great people and you, you're thinking you get to about 5% you think well maybe in comparison to Jesus who's on 100 I'm probably a 5 percenter and then one day I read this scripture in Luke 15, in John 15. He says, Jesus says to them, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And suddenly my whole thing was changed. It was like, oh my goodness. Hang on a minute. So the very love that God had given to Jesus, Jesus says, I've received that love from my Father and what I've done is I've loved you with the same love. Oh, same love. And then I, I saw in John 17, that prayer of Jesus, last verse he says, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known. So, these disciples have been on a Father Heart School for three years. Some of you are thinking, well, thank goodness the Monday's over. <laughs> Nearly over. We've got this one done and stitched. Or some of you have been on a one-week school or a three-week or a three-month. Who was on the three-month one? On the three-month one. And you think, surely I'm cooked now. Surely I'm done now. But these disciples have been on a three-year Father Heart School with Jesus. 
Because Jesus all the time is showing them what the Father's really like. And then he says, and I'm going to continue. So after three years, they're not even fully cooked. I mean, we, we were in Toronto and a lady came on one of the schools two, two years ago. She'd been in the church since the beginning of the revival in 94, before that. And she'd been longing to get revelation of the Father and, and really have an encounter. She came on the school for, I think she came a couple of years, but about two years ago, at the middle, uh, towards the end of the week, she suddenly had this massive moment with God and she came and she said, he's my daddy. <laughs> and suddenly, I know we asked her about it and we think, oh my goodness, you, you've been in the church for 17 years where the outpouring was of the Father's love and it's taken that long for you to actually really grab it that he's your dad and he's passionately in love with you. And for all of us, it takes a different length of time. And I'm not speaking 15 years or 17 years over you. But you know what? It takes more than just a day and it takes more than just a week and it, it takes more because there's a lot of stuff being dumped in our hearts. A lot of lies have been thrown into our hearts about what God's like. And so Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to keep on bringing you revelation. He's telling his dad, I've, I've been doing it, but they need more. And the reason I'm going to do it is so that the love you have for me may be in them. What does that tell you? As you get revelation of the Father, you're going to realize that you're loved just as much as Jesus is loved. That's hard, isn't it? Like, Jesus never committed any sin. I'm going, well, I've made a mess of lots of things. God can't love me as much. No, it's not true. God's love is very different than human love. He loves you. He knows the worst about you. Even some of your friends, even husband and wife, have, never, have sometimes never fully shared some of the stuff that's happened in the past. And I tell you this, this father knows it all. And he still loves you as much as he loves Jesus. That's got to be quite cool, hasn't it? Reasonably so. You might even get quite excited. If, if you're Americans, you probably get up and say, Yeah! <laughs> all from Manchester. <laughs> So, you have to keep drinking this love. You have to keep stepping back into it every day and going, Daddy, I'm here. I need, I need the right fuel in my tank. I'm built for love. And the love I need is from you. I need, I need your stuff in me. So come and fill me again today. Come and fill me again today. You could get serious about this. It's like, it's a legitimate request of saying, Daddy, I want to be filled with your love today. I don't want to be just <sighs> trying to love people and get on with doing the work. No, it's, you need to be a heavy drinker. <laughs> hey, the good thing about drinking of God's love and the Holy Spirit is you don't have a headache next day. That's why the Bible says, you know, be filled with the Holy Spirit, but don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like very close similarities. 
but no headache the next day with the Holy Spirit. Good. So, <laughs> oh, Father, thank you for... <laughs> thank you for this wild bunch here, Father. <laughs> thank you for what you're going to do this week, and this is just Monday, and I'm, I'm asking you, Father, they'll completely fall apart. I completely fall apart during this week. And the thing they'll be overwhelmed with is, 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 is more than the joy bubbling up. It'll be incredible love. Incredible love that's bigger and better than they could ever imagine. Even, even after being soaked in the Word, that it'll still be more than they can handle. Love that is beyond measure. That's what he says. That we might know his love. That we'd be able to grasp the height and length and breadth and depth of the love of Christ. And to know this love which is beyond knowledge. What a contradiction. How can you know something that's beyond knowledge? Well, it's to do with heart and head, isn't it? What you can find out and know in your heart is much way beyond what you can discover with your head. So, why don't we stand up and pray? Because I think we need to... <laughs> yeah, we just need to pray. Do you know what? I, I really convinced that as you, as you t- spend time this week and soaking and, and spending time with God, I do believe God wants to speak words of affirmation to you. Every one of you. Don't back off into a corner and think, oh, it's too good to be true. It's not, it won't be me. I can believe for everybody else, but it's probably not me. No, that's not true. The truth is, this Father wants to express his love to you. He's like so in love with you. He can't help himself. He's completely over the top and he wants to tell you you're loved and loved and loved and loved and he wants to mess you up with love. How many of you like to be messed up? Yeah, that's half a hand there. Yeah, I saw that. I saw half a hand. <laughs> well, as long as it's, as long as it's okay. <laughs> so let's pray a prayer together. Let's say this prayer after me. Daddy, I'm here today. <laughs> Whoo! <laughs> and I really want to know your love. <laughs> You're the father who loves. And you want to be a dad to me. And I want to hear your voice. Your words of approval. I want to hear the same things you said to Jesus. Now, when we say this next bit, remember if you're a girl, you're going to say daughter. Don't, don't get gender confusion. <laughs> I want to hear your words. I want to hear your words. Come on. But I love you. You're my son. And I'm really pleased with you. Hucka jungle. So, Dad, I'm asking you to come now. So, Dad, I'm you to come you're, now. you're all over us tonight. I can feel it in the room. It's like, 
I want you to come to my heart. I want you to come to my heart. I want revelation. That's way over the top. I don't want to just feed on little dribbles. I want a tsunami wave. Shabbat! Yeah, you can say Shabbat as well. That's always good. So I open my heart today to receive your love. Wow. Pachingo. Pachingo, John. Sure. Why, why don't you just lay hands on the person next to you and just say, God, give them a massive bucket full on them. <laughs> Mess them up gloriously and outrageously. Blast them, Father. Oh, yes. More than he can handle. More than seems decent. Going down. Going down, next floor. <laughs> Garden equipment. <laughs> yes, God, we want more. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. Hallelujah. God, we want more. More. More, Dad. He's precious. Whoa. Blessing. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Wow. Bless him, Dad. Going down. <laughs> Next floor, garden equipment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey! <laughs> yes, Father, thank you. Yes, Father, let, let there be a massive outpouring. A massive outpouring. Come on, Dad. Come on, Dad. Hello. Hi. Hello. 
some crazy people in here. <laughs> yeah. He loves you. His dad loves you. His dad loves you. His dad loves you. He really loves you. Really. He wants to be a dad. He wants to be a dad. Whoosh. Yeah. Hey, he really loves you. Just turn to somebody. He really loves you. Just tell him. He really loves you. He really loves you. He really, really loves you. You're jungle. And you. Boom. Really loves you. Yeah. Yes, Father. Pour it in again. Pour it in again. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa! Yes, Dad, come on. Wreck his heart again. Wreck his heart with totally over-the-top love. Whoa. Think, Think I'm done. Think I'm done. I think I'm done. I think could be, could be. Thank you. 